Welcome to the East Memorial Ministries podcast. This podcast is the central hub for all audio publications of East Memorial Baptist Church out of Prattville, Alabama. So grab a pen, paper, and your copy of God's Word, and let's study God's truth together. Well, last week we uh, kind of got through verse 6, but not really. And so what we're going to do today is go back to verse 6 and trek down through verse 8. And next week we're going to start in verse 9 because verse 9, it kind of starts a whole new category. Not really a new category, but a new emphasis, I should say, in his letter. The introduction to Colossians is, is through verse 8. Okay, so we've been talking about the Apostle Paul. Uh, we've been talking about Timothy, who's there with him. Paul's in prison in Rome writing this epistle. And there is a reason that he writes this. I want to just, first of all, I ask you, you English teachers in here, I am not, I wasn't a great English student. Um, uh, me and Kimberly had the same English teacher, I think, Denise, right? You had Miss Denise? And um, she's probably the best English teacher that's out there, in, in my opinion. She was just amazing, especially in the literature aspect. But um, I can, when I'm reading Paul's letter here, the first eight verses, it's like one giant run-on sentence. Like it just keeps going and going and going and going. I don't know if you've noticed that, but there's like no period until verse 8. And so it's a, what you could call a complex sentence, okay? I can already hear or see Miss and Eve like marking up my rough draft saying, you've got to break this up in a few sentences. This is too long. It, you can't even really find the subject, or not the subject, but the, the purpose clause. Like you've got like 50 of them here. So like let's narrow this down and get it to a few sentences. Well, Paul obviously didn't have anybody tell him that or he didn't care. Um, and he wrote this, um, just one giant, long, complex, extended sentence, all the way through verse 8. Um, but th- what we can see is that the fuller uh, statement of the main idea in this section, all right, so in these first few verses, is that Paul thanks God for the readers because he recognizes in them genuine faith, hope and love and we talked about that last week okay so we know that the main the main idea is his thankfulness unto God we see this in verse 3 he says we give thanks to God and why does he do that it's because of their their faith and hope and love there is there is a word that's come to him that they are genuine in the faith they are genuine in love which means there is a fruit that is being immediately displayed from faith and then growing. And then he talks about their hope, which is to come. It's a hope that's fixed. It's not just an objective hope, like, I hope you have a good day. It is hope of the future of being with Christ, and it is fixed. And so that's what determines their outcome in Colossae. So he he obviously also mentions that they are in Christ at Colossae, which is their transformation, they're no longer just Prattvillians or um, hailing from Deedsville. They are in Christ, and they, their physical location is at Colossae. And so that is how they are determined to live. It's a transformation. So the main point, the main idea is Paul's thankfulness to God. Not to them. They didn't arrive. They didn't figure anything out. It was to God. Now, what is he thanking them for? thanking God for the faith, hope, and love, but there is something else, and that's what we want to land on today. It's in verse 6. So if you'll jump down to verse 6 with me, and let's read this together. Colossians 1, 6 says, well, let's back up to 
verse 5. He says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth. We know he heard it by who? Epaphras, verse 7. We also uh, see that um, uh, down in, in, in verse 8 or in verse 7. I already said verse 7, didn't I? And so we see that Epaphras brought them the gospel, the good news. So continuing on in verse 5, um, previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, so that's the truth, the gospel, verse 6, which has come to you. So the good news, the gospel, the word of truth has come to them just as in all the world. And this is the, the whole climax of this, this, this sentence, this complex sentence. It is that, they are constantly bearing fruit. That is the gospel, but that is the gospel in them and increasing. So bearing fruit and increasing. You have the main idea being thankfulness to God for what? Faith, hope, and love. But that, that faith, that gospel that has been brought to them has borne fruit and it is increasing. So there is not a stagnation. There is not a group of people that is claiming to be believers but yet not having any fruit it is a church who is identified by faith hope and love but also by the fruit that is being bore born out there and then the increasing of that fruit and increasing of the knowledge of the will of god so what i want to do as we kind of start this this morning is to break down this idea of bearing fruit and increasing and i mentioned this at the very end of last week's lesson as we were kind of closing he says in verse six constantly bearing fruit and increasing but at the very beginning of verse six he's talking about the gospel out of verse five the truth and he says which has come to you so what came the truth you go back to verse five the gospel the truth the truth came the um and so verse six begins with this conjunction which that serves as a comparative that expresses the manner in which something happens. So you have the gospel, the truth, and it has come. In what manner has it come? Um, well, in the same manner that it has in all the worlds. You see, so when we think about evangelism, we think about missions, we think about the Great Commission to go and tell, there is an act, and it is the same as in all the world. It is spoken, it is preached, it is proclaimed. So it's heard and it is spoken by the word of God, the truth. And so the truth is the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world. So in this case, the coming of the gospel to Colossae, all right? So we can put it in our own region here but the coming of the gospel to Colossae was in the same manner as it was in currently coming in the rest of the world so the gospel has come now when you think about Paul writing uh from Rome to Colossae the the known world I mean I don't I don't really know what they understood as the known world at that time I mean we know that they probably had a better idea than what we can imagine. Um, but Paul, when he talks about in, as in all the world, it really what, what is being done there is it's going back to what has been done since the coming of Christ and in the spread of that good news in the gospel. That would we know for a fact would have been the greater Asia Minor. 
um, and even into Europe. Um, so Paul is over in Rome at this point, and that would have spread all the way over to Colossae, if you were to look at it, one of those Bible maps in the back. And so what he is saying is that the gospel is spread and shared and received the same way throughout all generations, all times, to all men, to all women. And so it's, it's just the same as to them as it is to the rest of the world. The second part is that it constantly bears fruit and is, is increasing. Now, last week I mentioned this, and I want to I spend a little more time on that this morning because I think it's, it's enlightening and it's important. Again, remembering the Apostle Paul was a, he was a Jew, and he was not just a Jew, he was a learned Jew. He would probably been on track to be one of the top in the synagogue. Paul, uh, Saul at that, at that time, his Jewish name, would have been very intelligent, very studious. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the law. And so now, as he is referred to as Paul, his Roman name, and he is speaking, he's speaking in regards to the gospel, the new gospel, which is Jesus Christ in us, Jesus Christ dying for us. What he is doing is he's using Old Testament lingo and because that paul knows the old testament he knows the law so when he speaks about bearing fruit and increasing and he is speaking of it in terms of the gospel we must understand that this is the same commission that has always been it's always been it just has a new fulfillment just like the old testament law can't be fulfilled by us today and isn't to be fulfilled by us today it has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. Therefore, by grace, we are saved. We look now to the law as a tutor. It's a teacher. It teaches us that we are sinners. We are wretched. We're rotten. We're just evil at the core. And we need a Savior. And so when we look to the Old Testament, it's not that we unhitch it and remove it from the New Testament. It's because of the Old Testament that we have the New Testament. It's because of the law and the foundation of the law that there had to be something fulfilling that law. And it is spoken of not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ was prophesied all throughout Isaiah. Go to Zechariah. You can go to Psalm 22 and actually see the inner thoughts of Christ hanging on the cross. How all of this is put together is only by God throughout the generations and through all these writers and through the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, go ahead and hold your place here and turn back there with me. I want you to see the Old Testament language, specifically here in the creation account, and how the verb sounds is an echo of what Paul is writing here. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. I mean, Colossians. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. In the creation account, God blessed them. After he created them, man in his own image, God blessed them, verse 28. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, every living thing that moves on the earth. Look back at verse 27, Genesis 1, 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. I hope you still have your place in Colossians. Don't lose your place in Genesis, but flip back to Colossians and look at verse 10. Colossians 1, verse 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
This is how they are increasing. They're increasing in the knowledge of God. And verse 27 of Genesis 1 says God created man in his own image. Colossians 1 verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. He is the image of the invisible God. That's Jesus Christ. In verse 27 of Genesis 1, again, God created man in his own image. Man was created in the image of Jesus Christ. And so we are to gain this knowledge of God by how? By reading his word, the knowledge of the truth. And it is through the Holy Spirit that we gain and increase in the knowledge of God. So you have Colossians 1, 10 and 15 that reflect Genesis 1, 27. And then Genesis 1, 28 that be fruitful and multiply goes back to Colossians 1, 10. And also Colossians 1, 6, bearing fruit and increasing. So you see, there is some similar language being used here by Paul. He understands not only the law, but the whole Old Testament. And he is now trying to teach not only the Colossians, but all who would read that it is this fulfillment of the gospel that has replaced what those in bondage of sin under the first Adam could not accomplish. Now go to Genesis chapter 8, still holding your place in Colossians 1. Genesis chapter 8. This is the mandate following the flood. So the flood has taken place in chapter 8 of Genesis verse 17. He says... Um, um, Yeah, let's start at verse 17. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. And then Noah built an ark to the Lord. He worshipped the Lord. The very first thing he did after leaving the ark was to worship the Lord. And so we see that there was a mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Go to chapter 9, Genesis 9 verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We're constantly seeing the same commandment. The commission of them to do. Look at verse 7 of Genesis 9. As you, as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. And then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him saying, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. We know that he has, he's communicated by covenant to not only Moses, um, to Noah, but to Abraham as well. And all of these are, um, Very similar in language. Turn to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17. We have here God's communication with Abraham, and then we're going to look at some of the patriarchs that he communicates with as well. 17 verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Okay, so this is... God's communication to Abraham about his firstborn, Ishmael, with Hagar. And he says, I've heard you. I know he's not the promised one. I know that you've sinned and you did something outside of my um, plan for your life, but I am going to bless Ishmael. How does he bless him? He says, by being fruitful and multiplying his seed. Well, look down in chapter 28, Genesis chapter 28. 
Verse 3, Genesis 28, 3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. This is God's communication with with Jacob. And then look down in um, chapter 35, verse 11. This is um, God to Jacob in the name change to Israel. He says in chapter 35, verse 11, God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come forth from you. Now, I want you to go to Mark chapter 4. Still holding your place in Colossians. We're coming back there. But Mark chapter 4. In Mark 4, this is the parable of the sower um, and the soils. And in verse 8, I don't really know exactly where to pick. Let's, let's look at verse 3. So in verse 3, he says, Mark 4 verse 3, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers along with twelve began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. All right, so let's break this down. Look at verse 14 again. The sower sows the word. The seeds planted is the word of God that's planted. All right, in this passage, it's the word of God that is being planted. The seed is the word. Verse 8, Mark chapter 4, verse 8. Other seeds fell. So the word of God was spoken. But it was only heard by those of the good soil. So the seeds, that is the word of God, fell into the good soil, verse 8. And as they, what? Grew up and increased. So the good soil, the true converts, those transferred from darkness to light, have, they bear fruit, they grow up, and they increase. They yield a crop and produce 30, 60, and 100 fold in this parable. So it grows, it increases, it bears fruit. Now, back to verse 14, we have the Word. The Word is the seed. And so we see that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, first of all, let's read Mark 4.20, because this is, is Jesus' answer to the parable. He asked them, do you understand the parable? Let me just give you a brief little history here. You may not quite understand, but some people believe that parables were spoken by Jesus because he was trying to make it easier for people to understand. And that was actually the opposite. Um, That's why you have some preachers today who dumb down the Word of God because they're trying to make it more palatable or easier to understand by their hearers. But that's not what Jesus did. What we just read in Mark 4, and you can study this on your own, I don't remember if MacArthur brings this out in the commentary or not that you read this week, but... um, 
what he does here is Jesus says, from this point forward, I'm going to speak in parables. I'm going to speak in stories. Why? He says, because they're going to hear the story, but they're not going to get it. So while hearing, they're not going to perceive. And so then he looks at them, he says, do you understand the parable? So it's almost like he's speaking in code from this point on. That's why Jesus, in his descent from the Mount of Olives, um, going into Jerusalem, um, as, which would have been this week, um, Palm Sunday or Monday, or however you view it on the calendar, as he's entering into Jerusalem, he weeps, he stops, and he weeps over the city that he sees, that he knows he's about to enter into, and they're about to crucify him. Why does he weep? He doesn't weep for himself. He weeps for the people because he knows that they can't understand. And it says that. He, he weeps for them. And so this is all a part of God's plan. It's a part of God's plan. And it's, it goes back to the sovereignty of God that we have to understand that it is by hearing that we have faith, that we receive, that we respond. But how do we hear? It's spoken and so God uses preachers, the reading of the Word of God, the Word of God, to enable us to hear and to be saved. But it's all a work of God at the end of the day. It's all a work of God, and there's still the responsibility of man to respond. Now, in verse 20, look at Mark 4.20. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And listen to what he says. And they hear the Word and accept it. And what? Bear fruit. So who, who? The good soil. The seed in the good soil. The true converts. Those, those saved. That have faith in Jesus Christ. They, since the day, Colossians 1.6. Colossians 1.6. Since the day they heard it, they what? Bore fruit and it was increasing. So we have here in Mark 4.20, and those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. So they heard it, and they understood it. They understood the grace of God in truth. Now, again, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to bring these passages to your attention, because in the Old Testament, we see the same verb structures and usages that we see in Paul's writing in Colossians that goes back to a mandate we couldn't once fulfill. We couldn't fulfill the mandate under the old Adam. But now under the new Adam, Jesus Christ, we can. But it's in the gospel, and it's the spiritual mandate of Matthew chapter 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. So again, going is implying that they were sent. This goes back to Epaphras, chapter, verse 7, verse 23. He, it, he was announcing it. It was coming to them, verse 6, just as it was in all the world. It came to Colossae. It goes to the world. It came to the world. It is preached by a preacher, Epaphras. And it is in ver Matthew 28, 19, our commission, which is the fulfillment of the old commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what does he say? In verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. In other words, don't just win them to the Lord, baptize them, and then go on your merry way. No, then there's discipleship that goes along with it. So it's evangelizing, it's discipling, it's teaching. Just like Epaphras went back to his hometown and taught the word of God. That's why these little short-term mission trips, if they don't have a pastor attached to them, 
then I have a hard time with that because um, if there's not a local pastor in that community that's going to be following up with people, then you're going out there and yeah, you still spread the seed, but they need to be taught. So you can go in there and say, you know, escape from hell and here's, here's the good news and then leave and then they're never followed up with, they're never taught. That's a problem. We're only fulfilling part of the Great Commission. It's like having children but then not raising them or at least not raising them properly in the admonition of the Lord. And so we must put those two together. So there is a work for us to do, but there's also a work that the gospel just does in the life of true believers. Basically what you could say is that every person needs not only the God-ordained opportunity to hear, every person needs to hear. We believe that. We should believe that every person, that's why missions programs are in place. Every person needs the opportunity to hear the gospel, but also the spirit-enabled ability to listen to the gospel. I mean, Brother Glenn can preach the gospel again today, and he's going to. And we need, everybody needs to be able to hear that, but there also needs to be the spirit-enabled um, ability to listen to the gospel. And so Paul, going back to Colossians 1, is thanking God that the word of truth came to them. They heard the word of truth by Epaphras spoken and they heard it from the day they heard it in verse 6. From the day it came to them, they bore fruit. Verse 4 is the day they heard it. Verse 6 is the fruit and the increasing fruit that we see there. So I hope that all kind of helps you make the connection of the commandment to go and tell and it's, it's the same commission that we've always had. It's just now we can actually fulfill the commission, the commandment, because Jesus Christ has died for us. Now, again, the more one gains a knowledge of God's word, again, from the word of God, the more one should bear fruit in good works. So the more knowledge you receive, the more that you're reading the scriptures and understanding, communing with God, cultivating a relationship with God, the more fruit that should be visible in your life. In, in God's word, um, we see that there's a fueling. Uh, it's, it's an inauguration um, of, the, of the Great Commission back in Genesis 1. Um, be fruitful, multiply. And so the goal of this new, this renewed, I should say renewed commission in Colossians that we're seeing is that Christ desires and commands us to spread God's glory through the renewed humanity. So we spread His glory through His new creation that He is making. We're spreading His glory to all of those on this side of the cross because it is the new commission, the renewed commission. In Christ and believers are the created offspring so we are the offspring of the last Adam but through the new Adam we have a new mandate and it is given to the first Adam and we are his children and so that that is our commission y'all that is our commission to be like Christ to spread the love of Christ so I believe, like many commentators have done here, that we can also assert this morning, as we're seeing this being played out, that we can assert that bearing fruit points to the work of the gospel within the believers. Bearing fruit points to the work of the gospel that is at work in your life. And it's increasing. And that the fact that it's increasing points to the outward growth that we should be seeing. It points to the growth 
of reaching more people. So there's a spiritual maturity that happens in that growth, and then there's a growth of reaching people for the Lord. Do you have a desire to reach people? I think if you're a believer, you do. Does it mean that you always act upon those desires? We should. We need to. We need to push back the barriers, and we need to push forward through the awkward whatever that we feel that is, is hindering us, and we must be about the business of the gospel. So it bears fruit, points to the work of the gospel in you, and it increases the outward signs of that work in you. Um, verse 7 in Colossians 1, again, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. We've talked a little bit about this already, so I'm going to hop through this one, but I think of the larger point that we need to gain from this verse is that the gospel is not simply something that Christians must, um, that non-Christians must hear. The gospel is not just something that people that don't know Christ need to hear. But as new, cre- and, and also as new Christians, it's not just something that we believe. So when we say the gospel, a lot of times we think of it, that's what lost people need to hear, that's what I believe. But it's more than that. The gospel is more than just what they need and what we have. It's what we as growing Christians continue to learn. And the reason I say that from this is just as you learned it, so they learned it from Epaphras, they're still learning it, who's a faithful servant on our behalf. I think the greater point here is that we should never not be learners, students of the word of God. And the gospel is the central aspect of the whole entire word of God. Why do we need to continue to focus on the gospel in our life? I think that affects our evangelism. It has a direct influence on our discipleship because it reminds us of our sinful state. We don't compare ourselves to the good person of yesterday. We don't compare ourselves, our worst days, with our best days because that's still below the standard. We compare ourselves with the holy and righteous God, the one who is separate from us, which means on even our best days, we're still in need of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So it's not just on our worst days when Satan likes to spin it and makes us feel like we can't do anything for God. No, even on our worst days, we're just as rich as we are on our best days. We need Jesus Christ all, every day. And so we need to constantly be learning the gospel and focusing on the gospel. It's not just for those who don't know it. It's not just for those who believe it. It is for us to continually learn it. And then in verse 8, this is where we're going to close. He says, He also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Now, we're going to pick this back up next week as we go into verse 9, but your love of the Spirit. That, that, again, he's going back to that third triad, faith, hope, and love. And he says, this is a fruit. He says, there is love that has been seen in you. Epaphras is teaching us of that, but he says it's in the Spirit. So it's something that is Spirit-filled. The Spirit brings this love. The Spirit teaches us how to love. It's the word that describes God's stance toward the world. It's the word. It's the Holy Spirit. So we know that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. We know that God loved the world. So that, that love, 1 John 4.8, is what we, as the Holy Spirit indwells within us, experience. That same love, the one who does not love, does not know God, because God is love, 1 John 4, 8. So that love that we know of God is the same love 
that sacrificed his son on a cross for us. It's a sacrificial love. That very same love, more specifically, is used to describe the unconditional covenant love of God for his people. Ephesians 1, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy, again, separate, blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So that same love that is of God that we, would ex- we will experience as believers is the same love that sacrificed his son on the, on the cross. It's the very same love that was used to describe the unconditional um, covenant love of God. So we are promised eternity. It's secure. And then it identifies uh, us as believers. It's an identifying mark of God's presence on us. That very same love, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So you see, that love that's of the Spirit is an identifying marker of a believer. So Paul, as he's kind of wrapping up his introduction here, he says again, you know, I've, I'm thanking God because Epaphras, this faithful brother, brother in Christ, has come to me and he has told me of your faith, hope, and love. And not only that, it's not just verbal. There's real fruit. Bearing fruit and it's increasing. And I thank God for that. It's all the work of God. It's all the work of God. And there's identifying markers in these believers' lives. The question is this morning, do we have identifying markers do we have fruit that's being bore out? Do we, are we increasing in the knowledge of the Scriptures? And if so, then we're increasing in our evangelism, in our discipleship. The implications of this lesson today and what Paul is speaking of the Gospel here, it should affect all of those things. How we live, how we speak, how we think, how we evangelize, how we disciple, how we have relationships with people. And we all have the same mandate to bear fruit and to increase. That is to spread the gospel and to grow in the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together in your word. We thank you for Paul's writing to us. And we just ask that you continue to work in our lives and our families' lives. We ask that you help us as men in this room to lead our families well, our families I mean, our children as well, our wives. Our wives is with us as a team. Uh, may we grow together with you in the Lord. Um, Father, just constantly increasing. And we know that comes by hearing the Word of God, by studying the truth, the Gospel. May we constantly be learners. May we not just stick the Gospel on a shelf and say that's what everybody else that's lost needs. May we constantly learn it, and study it, and focus on it. We love you. God, just be with us in this next hour. Help us to truly worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are glad you joined us today. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's podcast, send us a message on Facebook. Email us at info at eastmemorial.org or call our church office at 334-365-7500. Thanks for listening.